This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that at the foot of my bed? It's spooky and kooky, I'm pretty sure it's dead. It's coming this way, wait a minute, hey, I'm Hey, boo. It's me, Roz. Who'd you think it was? I am back talking to John E. L. Tenney for the second half of our recent conversation. And this episode today, we get some stories. We get a story that is unlike any that we have had even remotely close to yet. And I'm thrilled to you'll know what I'm talking about. We'll get into that later. One thing that we didn't get to was EVPs, and um, so I thought I would play them for you in this intro today. I, I've i been having a lot of fun with EVPs. I was I made a video on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Roz Dresvelez. The video is, okay, so in my years of looking at EVPs posted on YouTube, I find some that crack me up but they're just like vulgar and just not I I never know with my guests like I don't I don't want to like offend any I don't want to offend my guests that are coming on I I don't want to sometimes they're just like nasty so anyway I made a video that is me listening to some of the the nastier ones that I have found on uh, YouTube. I just kind of, I made like a note in my uh, computer, a note app, little file, whatever. And just like every time I find one, that's just, <laughs> it's just like, bitch. Like, <laughs> I don't know, something like that. I just put it in this file. And so I just made a video of it. Anyway, that's not what we're going to listen to right now. Right now, we are going to listen to two EVPs that uh, were posted by Peachy25Web on YouTube, and these were taken at the Trans-Allegheny Asylum, which is in Weston, Virginia. I have talked about this place a couple of times on this show, and I believe I've talked about it with Katrina Weidman, and um, I think I've, I've delved into the history of it and some of the hauntings around there. And Peachy25 Web found a couple of EVPs that I think are pretty good. So let's play them. I'll give you some options and you can tell me what you hear. All right. This first one was recorded in the doctor's office of the Trans Allegheny Asylum. What's it saying? No, I'm down. Okay. No, man. Gun down. Let me play it again. No, I'm Calm down. What do you think? Is it A, Norman, 
calm down. B, normal condoms. I don't know. I don't know. Is it C? No, thanks. Come again. Or D, no way, Jose. Here we go. We're going to listen again. No way. Calm down. They believe it is saying, Norman, calm down. I don't know who Norman is. He needs to calm down. No way. Calm down. I hear it. It sounds slightly British. Okay, here's another one. This is also same place. I don't know what part of the asylum it is, but um, what's it saying? All right, a little bit louder. Here we go. Is it A, forget my mom, okay? B, I can't afford to pay. C, get one more, Renee. Or D, I'm feeling real bored today. They believe it says C, get one more, Renee. Again, I don't know who Renee is. I don't know who Simon is. Simon or Norman. Norman needs to calm down. Renee needs to get one more. Get one more, Renee. Well, we're going to get one more 10A. We're going to get one more from John E.L. Tenney. Um, Another thing that I wanted to look into before we get into that, we kind of start the second half of the conversation talking about urban legend type hauntings that it seems every town has. We talk a little bit about like the, the woman in white that every town has, the, uh, the vanishing hitchhiker ghost. And um, I mean, of course, not every town, but there, there's a lot of them. There's a lot, of, a lot of ladies in the afterlife hopping in cars and disappearing. Not always ladies, but a lot of them. Ladies in white. I've talked before about every theater seems to have some kind of lady Lady Grandam that she wears the white and she's an actress that died on stage or whatever. Uh, so I just I was curious about some examples of this. And there is a famous story that got some press not that long ago. Last fall, I found a lot of articles about this. And uh, her name's Lydia. And Lydia is based in... Um, North Carolina. There's an area called Lydia's Bridge, which is in Jamestown. That seems to be one of these places that people go to. I'm sure teenagers go to and they they look for the ghost of Lydia. And I think I guess I guess a lot of people don't know that the bridge, the real bridge has been shut down and it gets confused for this other bridge that's on the main street of of the town. And and this one is like off the beaten path and and you can't drive over it. But the story of it is that she's a hitchhiking woman wearing a white gown. And it is said that she died on the bridge and, and she's seen beneath the bridge. And years ago, there was a man that was driving in his car down the road. And, and it's foggy out. And then through the fog, 
he sees this gorgeous woman in white. I, mean, I didn't say gorgeous, but I'm, she sounds gorgeous. This gorgeous woman in white with pale skin and she's got a, a long thin arm that she's waving oh I need a ride so she gets in the car and the two of them are sort of talking he's driving her home and once he gets to the house that she tells him to go to he goes to open the door which is very gentlemanly goes to open the door she's already out of the car he's like wait where'd she go He's like, oh, maybe she must have just ran up into that house without me looking all quiet, which I would I see. I would feel like I was the creep at that point. If I was that guy, I'd be like, OK, like I was giving you a ride. Like, you don't I'm not going to like I'm not going to try nothing. But she just she bolted out of there in his mind. So he goes up to the house to knock on the door and, and make sure she gets inside safely, I guess. And um and this woman answers the door and she's like, he's like, oh, I, I, I just wanted to make sure Lydia uh, got, got in, inside. And it's like this old lady and she's like, Lydia has been dead for years. So there actually seems to be, and that's the thing with a lot of these stories is that in the conversation that that John and I have today is is sort of about aggregores and and could these stories that become legends can they create actual ghosts or are they rooted in something you know a lot of times these stories are passed down for generations and they turn into another thing you know okay a great example la llorona okay La Llorona, there are so many different versions of that story. She, to my knowledge, and I've looked into this slightly, but to my knowledge, there's not like, and I might be wrong, sorry, if I am wrong, please be nice about correcting me on this. Uh, Of course, never take facts from someone named Roz Jezvalez. But to my knowledge, there's not like historical evidence of a woman that killed her children and then killed herself. And that's what La Llorona is like based on. To my knowledge, maybe there is. I believe it is just a story that has been told for generation to generation. And now she comes back and she's crying uh, for her kids. And um, so that's one of those things where it's like whether it actually happened and it can be traced to a historical event or not, people do claim that they have seen this woman that fits the La Llorona description. There are people that if there was a lineup, a police lineup of all of these women and white ghosts, there are people that would go, that was her. That's La Llorona. I saw her. She was by the river. She was crying. That was her. So I don't know. Anyway, so this, this woman, Lydia, apparently... She, there actually was a woman in 1920 that died, and her name was Annie L. Jackson. And so, paranormal investigators, there's actually um, two of them named Michael Renegar and Amy Greer, they wrote a book called Looking for Lydia. And they did find this woman, Amy or Annie L. Jackson. And so, they, they don't know that the L, they don't know what L stands for, but they're thinking maybe that's where Lydia came from. But she did die in a car accident. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, that's, it very well could be her. She was about 35 years old at the time. She was working in a cigar factory. And she did have parents that lived locally. So maybe maybe there really was an older woman that, that answered the door that was her mom. I, I don't know. Now I'm making things up. I don't know. But it was after her death that people started saying that they see this woman in white hitchhiker lady. So the bridge was originally built in 1916. She died in 1920. And now it's just like abandoned and overgrown and it's not, yeah, you can't access it with a car. Now in the articles that I've read from last fall, it says that they're supposed to be working on a walkway for people to walk to the bridge and be able to see it easier. And um, they're going to, you know, do events around the bridge and, and honor the history, which I think is a beautiful thing. Um, but I can't, I haven't been able to find any info if that has happened yet or what. Maybe you might know. It also kind of makes me think, like these hitchhiker ghost stories, makes me think of that idea like, how many times have you encountered someone that was a ghost and you didn't even know it? I have... I might have told this story before. This one time I was at a place. I don't really want to say what it was, but I was at a place. It was a gathering of people. And there was this woman that came in or person. I I don't know. But this person looked so incredibly unique the, and, and like was kind of glowing in, in a way, not visually, but just like, whoa, like who is that person? And definitely had a look to them. I mean, this person had a look. That's all I'm going to say. Just a look on purpose, it seemed. Um, and I was looking around the room. I was like, nobody's looking at this person. No, am I, I'm like, I see this person. And this person was staring at me, walking through the room. And I was like, this is, I was kind of getting the shivers. I was like, this person seems not of this world. And the person sat down and I, and stayed there the whole time. But I was like, I don't, I wonder if that's a ghost. Like I was looking around at the other people in the room and I was like, no one's looking at them and we're all sitting and it's the only person that's standing walking around the room and and this person definitely want like they they stand out and um i'm not counting it as a ghost story but like that's an example whatever it's just something to say okay you know what let's get into my conversation part 2 with John EL Tenney There is um, a full-length episode of my new podcast, Commercial Free, on Patreon. Me looking up spooky things and learning about them. Patreon.com slash rosdresvelez. Also, send me listener stories. Ghostedbyroz at gmail.com. Subject line, listener episode with some bullet points. Just give me enough so I know what the stories are about. And let's do a listener episode. Okay, here we go. Part two with John E.L. Tenney. On with the show. 
Have you ever heard of the Ada Witch? Yes. This is from near where I'm from. Uh, it's in Ada, Michigan, which is by Grand Rapids. And there's a what they say is a haunted cemetery where there's a, another woman in white that you know can be seen right on the on the dark streets. And she's one of those like hitchhiker ghosts or whatever that gets in the car and then you turn around and she's gone. And um, have you ever been there? I haven't, but I always think it's interesting that there are ghost archetypes like totally women in in white and the hitchhiker ghosts or the ghosts of the children who push you off the train tracks so that you don't get you know hit by the train that there seem to be we're talking about thought forms there seem to be ideas generated because every state has it like every state has a woman in white every state has a hitchhiker ghost everybody has like the witch grave where you can go and see the witch everybody has these stories and that makes me wonder like is that something deeper in us that's manifesting like in these locations because kids experience in them, you know, they, they have experiences and then do their kids experiences form the basis. I don't talk about this often because this goes into the terrible beginnings of John, but this is, I will admit to it, but there's a very old house in Royal Oak, which is the city that I live in. It's the oldest house there. It's called the Orson star house. And when it was just an abandoned building, I used to investigate it. I was probably 16 at the time. And at some point, nothing ever happened in this house. Like it wasn't scary. It wasn't spooky. There were no ghosts. And at some point, talking to friends and talking to people in the area about investigating this really old house in Royal Oak, I made up the story that there was a ghost dog in the house. I said, there's a ghost dog in the basement and it growls at you and it has red eyes. And I really just sold the story. I was probably, again, 16 or 17. If you investigate the Orson Star House now, you'll see a ghost dog. Exactly how I described it. People have pictures of it. Um, I created a ghost in that house that everybody knows about now. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I mean, the first time I saw a picture of it, I was like, what, what? Like I, someone took a picture. I think it was in like 2007. They were like, I saw this ghost dog and you can see like a dark shape with two eyes at a dog's level. And I was like, they're taking pictures of this thing that I made up. That's crazy. So that's so cool. The, the, the short of that story is don't pretend and make stuff up because you might make, you might make something real. And then it always hurts my heart because then, like, you've created something that lacks purpose, and that kind of breaks my heart. Like, now this thing is going to persist or be somewhere, and it doesn't know what it is, and it doesn't know who it is or what it's supposed to do. Like, that kind of makes me really sad. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, when we go back to this idea of all of these – types these ghost types in everybody's hometown (laughs) they a lot of times when you look into it more there's no proof of it ever really happening there's no record that that person existed that there was that train accident there it just never happened but yet it still exists when i bought my house the house i live in right now uh, about 11 years ago 
everybody in the neighborhood when I was looking at this house was like, you know, old man uh, Ferns died in that house and his ghost is in that house. And I was like, cool. Like for me, I was like, great. That's awesome. And all of the kids in the neighborhood, you know, they remembered when they took his body out of the house. No one knew how long it had sat in the house. And I, I mean, I'm an investigator. This is what I do is I find out the facts about stuff. So after I bought the house, I was like, let's find out what happened here. And the thing was, is he had gotten sick one day and then went to a hospice unit up like 60 miles away from here and like four months later died. He never died in this house. There was no body wheeled out of this house. Like it was all urban legend neighborhood gossip and everybody in the neighborhood was convinced the house was haunted. Now there's a ghost hunter living in that house. <laughs> it's kind of similar to like the Mandela effect, you know, that that whole theory of oh, people remember this happening and like everybody on the internet thinks that it was, like, what's an example? Like the, uh, like the, the Bernstein, Bernstein Bears. Bear. Yeah, but like, isn't it really called something else? But everyone just kept saying it that way and now we think that that's what it was and so people go crazy. Um, yeah, it's like kind of that, huh? Yeah, and I think that, you know, long before, so even before the Mandela effect, one of the issues that was talked about a lot by paranormal researchers and investigators of the supernatural was something that was called transient environment phenomena, which is experienced by tons of people all the time. So most people drive the same route to work back and forth every day for years and, or live in the same neighborhood for years. But this thing happens with TAP, with transient environment phenomena, where one day you just notice a building that you've never seen in your entire life. Mm. You're like, you're like, I've lived in this neighborhood for 10 years. How did I never see this house that's right there? Or you're driving and you see a barn every day. And then one day you drive by a field and there's no barn there anymore. And it seems like reality is kind of not as concrete as we would have it believe it is, but it's more plastic and kind of changes. Wait, okay. Now I'm thinking of the story, the story with um, the diner. Can you tell that one? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a John Tenney hits. I know your greatest hits and I love them. I went to a paranormal convention in the mid-2000s, and while I was there, I got in a car accident. So after the convention was over, I had to stay in this in – Deca it was Decatur, Illinois. Uh, so I'm one person in a 200-room hotel. Like, it was The Shining. It was crazy. The pool was closed down for winter. There was three feet of snow. I was, like, Sunday night, and I realized I had to stay until Thursday when my car was fixed. But on, um, I think it was Monday, I asked the desk clerk, where can I eat? And so he said, oh, you know, if you go out the back of the hotel, there's a little cemetery. You have to walk through that. And then there's a road and a golf course. And you turn here and turn here and turn here. So I waited probably a little later than I should have. And I started walking there that night. And huge snowstorm, but found the diner. Uh, went in, ate, went back to the hotel. The next day, I stayed in the hotel the day after that, the third night, I went back through the cemetery, through the snowstorm, found the diner, ate again, went back to the hotel the next day, picked my truck up. Uh, and then I was like, well, I should eat at that diner one more time. So I get in my car and I start driving around. And I can't find the diner. And I'm like, well, I've been walking to it, so I'm not 
used to the roads in this area. I go back to the hotel. I ask where it's at. He tells me the directions to drive. I drive in his directions and I find a diner, but it's not the one I've been eating at. It's the one that he has been giving me directions to. So I start following as much as I can on the road where I've been walking these past few days and there's no diner there. It's up like state park. There's no driveway. There's no diner. There's never been a diner there. I ate twice at a restaurant that doesn't exist. But did you eat ghost food? I, the first night I was there, I had hash browns, scrambled eggs, and coffee. The next time I was there, I had pancakes, hash browns, and an omelet. So what is your leading theory of what, of what that is? Is it an alternate dimension? Is it... I think so. It's probably an alternate reality that I somehow stumbled into at some point. I I like to think that somewhere there's an alternate reality where the diner does exist, but I don't. And the people at the diner still talk about that time that weird guy came in. Yeah. I always love the stories of when like a living person is like the ghost to the ghosts. Mm -hmm. Those trip me out. That's why I think if if people who did paranormal research really loved collecting data as much as they say they do and really wanted answers, like we would collect data and compile data a lot better than we do. Like people are at Waverly Hills every single day. We should have huge maps as to like what time of day, what day, what uh, lunar cycle is most active. We should have all that data already, but people don't collect that data. I think if we looked back at historically allegedly haunted locations – where the haunting is dark shadows moving around in the night, whispering to each other with weird lights floating around. I think that they in the past might be experiencing ghost hunters presently because (gasps) ghost hunters presently are walking around in the dark, whispering to each other, saying things like, talk to me. And they have little (sighs) blinking lights and they're floating through the air in the darkness. I think that we, in some instances, might be investigating ourselves. Whoa. Yeah, if you're, all of a sudden you just hear like, show your fucking face, demon. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, what? Yeah, and they'd be like, there's, an ex- there's something really violent in here. And it's really just like some ghost bros like kicking the walls and... Yeah, and I'm just, like, going like this to them. They're like, oh, I think something just hit me. And I'm like, what is that? Okay, do you think that trolls are real? I mean, not internet trolls, but, like, <laughs> like <laughs> duendes, like, uh, goblins. Like, uh, I guess those are two different things. But like, No, I think they're all kind of probably the same thing. Like, little supernatural creatures, for sure. yeah. Yeah, I think they are for sure. And fairies? Yeah. yeah. I I uh, don't talk about it that much anymore, uh, but there was a gentleman who asked me, I think this was almost six years ago now, there was a gentleman who asked me uh, after one of my lectures if I wanted to see an elf. And so I said yes, 
and put together a time to go and see an elf. And so it was at that point, like I said, six years ago, January, I went out to his location. He gave me a list of things I had to do to prepare myself to see the elf. Uh, so, you know, some of them were easy cause I'm vegan. So it was like, don't eat meat. That was already something that was easy for me to do. But then like, I could only smoke natural tobacco if I was going to smoke. I could only like, uh, drink, I think whiskey, um, three times a day. I had to spin around in a circle for three days before I saw the elf, uh, three times a day, I had to touch a plant for three days, three times a day, the three days leading up, I had to have a conversation with a non-human animal, just like all this stuff I had to do for three days before I met the elf. So then I went out to his property late at night, fully expecting someone to like in a Keebler elf costume to jump up and stab <laughs> me in the chest. Like, like <laughs> I'm like, this is how I go out. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Paranormal researcher killed by man in elf costume. <laughs> And went out there and he started singing, which he is said, he said how he met the elf. And, um, Roz, I think I saw a fucking elf. Like 11 inches see? tall with hooves, um, little hands, a little flat cat face, but real kind of long droopy elephant ears. Uh, deep inset eyes and a real big fat furry belly. Clothes? Nope. And it looked like it was a living, tangible human, or you know, uh, yes. you know, living. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, at, you never questioned any of this stuff beforehand. I mean. Did this guy? This guy seemed credible. I mean, he gave you this list of things, and you're just like, sure, why not? So his story was he uh, was an automotive worker in Detroit. When he retired, his wife and he had moved into the Thumb area of Michigan. She passed away. Uh, He started walking around out in the woods, kind of humming and singing to himself when he encountered these creatures that he called elves. And he developed a relationship with them and seemed like a very normal human individual and so you know when he asked me if I wanted to do this I said sure and then after I saw the elf um it seemed like it probably I mean I I say probably but it did like it came home with me I think that he gifted it to me like in in the seeing of it uh, all of these immensely strange things started to happen around my house so it I had to put a new roof on my house. Uh, I would wake up in the morning and shingles would be torn off of my house and they'd be laying in the front and backyard like something was on my roof trying to rip into my house. And then I realized I have this force field over my house and it probably couldn't get in and it was frustrated. So I like gave it a space and made it an offering and then things calmed down for a while. But then whenever I would travel, these really bizarre synchronicities, you know, would happen and like... The first time that I, crazy to me. So the first time my parents ever saw me lecture was the year after I saw the elf. So my parents didn't see me speak the majority of my career. They came to this lecture event, which was the weekend of my birthday. I told the elf story in public for the first time to this crowd of people, like 2000 people, including my parents. And then 
when I went and asked my parents, I was like, what did you think of, you know, what you saw me do? And my dad was laughing and he was like, you're going to love your birthday present. And we walked out to the car and they had brought me, my birthday present was this like three foot gnome statue. (laughs) And I was like, why did you buy me this? And they're like, we don't know. Like, we thought it was really funny. We thought you should have like a little gnome or an elf at your house. And I was like, like, it was just, it floored me. It was crazy. By this point, had the elf gone away or was it still in your life? Oh, it was still in my life. And it was wreaking a lot of havoc. Like it was not a great thing. And so eventually I, at, at a certain point, so I did caregiving for my mom the last few years of her life. And I had this kind of spiritual talk with the elf and saying, like, I can't deal with you right now. Like, whatever. <laughs> you have to go away. I can't. Like, I'm taking care of her. I can't take care of you. I can't handle your nonsense. And it calmed down and went away. And three days after I did that, I got a phone call from the gentleman who introduced me to the elf. And he said, he called me up and he's like, hey, John. And I was like, hello. And he goes, so you sent the elf back to me. And I was like, oh, did I? Like, that's crazy. You knew that. Like, it went back to you. Like, it's crazy. He's like, yeah, I didn't want it anymore. He's like, I gave it to you. And now it's back at, and I was like, yeah, I'm taking care of my mom. I can't handle it. So. Oh my God, that poor elf. It probably like came back to the guy's house. Like he dumped me. (laughs) But so when it was wreaking all this havoc in your life, were you seeing it? Like you were physically seeing it? No. Okay. Interesting. The night after I, I think it was two days actually, the two days after I saw the elf, out in the woods with that gentleman. I was at home, and the first people that I told about the elf were Greg and Dana Newkirk. And they were on Skype with me at the time. I was sitting in my kitchen, and I started telling them the story, and all of the windows in my house started rattling, and the doors started shaking, and Dana was freaking out, and I was like, it's this fucking thing, it's this creature, it's this entity trying to get in the house. And they're on Skype, so they could hear it all happening. And I heard this big, huge slam on my front door. So I picked up the laptop that I had them on Skype with, and I was like, come look outside with me. So I brought the laptop with me so I didn't have to go outside by myself. And in the snow on my front porch were tiny little hoof prints all over the front porch. It sounds adorable. (laughs) There's a part of me that wants one. It was troublesome. It was chaotic. How do you think that this man figured out the whole be vegan and, you know, talk to an animal like that whole routine? So he was in after he met them, uh, he became more in tuned to them telepathically. So he spoke with them and they so interesting, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of this story that I'm kind of not getting into just because it gets weirder and deeper. But so like the entities, the elves, whatever you want to call them, could only telepathically, when they were talking to him, they could only use the words that he knew. So he started like reading dictionaries and thesauruses to get more words into his head so they could speak more properly to him so that he would have more words in his head. And every time he asked them, what are you? 
The only word that they ever really used in describing themselves was whimsy, is how they described themselves. That's adorable. (laughs) Uh, But they gave him this list of things to do if anybody else ever wanted to see him. What's really strange, too, is over the years telling this story, um, and I stopped just because I think like when I talk about it too much, that that entity knows and wants to get involved again. But I would tell people all the time, like if when I told people this story, people started coming up to me and saying like, you know, when I was uh, little, I used to sing and I would see these little creatures uh, or, you know, I used to go out in the woods and I would, when I was saying, I would see these creatures. I used to hum, I used to whistle and I would see these creatures. And so there did seem to be again, kind of archetypes showing up with other people having these experiences that this gentleman introduced me to. We talked the last time about one of my favorite things that you've said about um, maybe Loch Ness is a dinosaur and Bigfoot is a, um, what Neanderthal. Caveman, yeah. Caveman. Um, and so could that be, it's a ghost of something? I, I, I don't know what, but sure. type of human or uh, I don't know. Sure. I also think, too, you know, for as much as it could be, you know, the ghost of something that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, I do like to imagine that it's kind of whether we call them fae or fairy or folks or trolls or gnomes or elves, whatever we call them. I like to think that nature takes on personalities and like has little component parts of itself as much as I like to, you know, I went to a monster truck rally a couple weeks ago and and dressed up as like civilian tenny i wore a baseball hat and you know a puffy jacket and stuff but that was just an aspect of me coming out and so i feel like these creatures might just be aspects of nature coming out yeah drag (laughs) nature's drag yeah um mother nature is a drag queen um did you see that article recently about a mermaid no. They think that they found a 300-year-old mermaid. And this was not just like in world news or what was that? What was that? Weekly really world news. Yes, it wasn't <laughs> like that. I just I still have such a vision of being at at Meyer grocery store and seeing one of those with like a man finds a, a mermaid in his tuna and he's like holding a right. mermaid. <laughs> um bat boy. Yes, of course. Um, but no, it wasn't that. Um, it's they, they claim that they found a mummified mermaid and they're doing tests on it at a university right now. I was thinking it might be an old sideshow. Like I know that they used to do those, you know, um, but I think it's going to be harder and harder for us and, and people in the future to figure out what was going on. We have such great ways to fake things right now that Mm. people 20 years from now are screwed, like trying to figure stuff out. We know how to age stuff. You can go on YouTube right now. I mean, I I used to do furniture refinishing. And so I used to have to make new wood look like hundred year old wood to match a part of a table or a chair. And I I could do it perfectly. Like you wouldn't be able to tell. And like, you can just learn how to do that on YouTube now. So people learning how to age things and construct mummies, like, I'm sure that it's going to make it very difficult. Yeah, it's like the cosplayer thing, too. Yeah. Do you think demons are real? What do you think about that? 
I mean, I, I mean, know it's they, obviously a religious thing a lot of time, but they're the, they're popular, right? They make a lot of clicks and they get a lot of television shows. They I think sell movie tickets. Yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to demons, I wrote an article a long time ago called the like the demon of judgment. And I think that people jump too quickly to demons when they don't understand something, literally demonizing it, turning it into something that they yeah. think is evil, right? And, you know, I, I don't know. I, some concepts I hit on at my lectures and they, they sound pretty good to me, so I use them. And I don't know, for the past 20, 25 years, I've told people, you know, if you were invisible in a house, if you were a ghost in a house and you were there and couldn't leave for some reason, and you were there for a year by yourself, five years, 10 years, 50 years, a hundred years, like you might become bitter over that time. Like you might <laughs> change into a nastiest person. And even if you didn't, if you finally manifested up enough energy to form your fingers to reach out and touch someone and you accidentally scratched them or pulled their hair, like the person's reaction is like something attacked me. Right. And you were like, no, I was trying to say hello. Like, mm -hmm. sorry. Right. Um, I think personally, like on my journey and thinking about all of this stuff, I think that the most demonic things that we encounter every day are human beings. Like, someone that's making money off of your fear, someone who's making money off of keeping you in fear, that is demonic to me, not someone who is reaching out from the other side. I have, as a human being, dealing with other human beings, I have difficulties understanding people's personal motivations. Uh, and that's with someone I can see and hear sitting across from me. When I'm dealing with invisible denizens of some nether realm, I have very <laughs> little to go on what their means and motivation are. And so for me to just demonize them, I feel is a disservice to them. I was just um, looking into demonic possession and, and all of that stuff. And I still, I still don't know where I'm at on that. I, mean, I saw an exorcism. Uh, have we ever talked about that? I can't remember if you told me this or if I heard you say this someplace. Um, in, in 99, I got the Archdiocese sorry. of Detroit. Let me sit in on a Vatican sponsored exorcism. Oh my God. And yeah. did that inform your opinion of the existence of demons or how did that contribute to that? It showed me that I don't understand what's going on. It's just another reinforcing mm -hmm. segment of like, no one has a clue of what's going on because the things that I was told through that religious belief system was, you know, I can sit here for days and say like, I wish a demon would come into me. Like a demon's not going to come into me. Uh, I don't have any want or need of it. I'm not putting it into action. I'm not working to become possessed. You can't just say I want a demon in me and a demon jumps inside you. Like that's, they told me that's not how it works. You, the person who was possessed that they were doing the exorcism on had worked, lived a life to become possessed by a demon. And once they were possessed, obviously it wasn't what they wanted, you know, and their life had gone in a different direction. Um, excuse me. <coughs> 
but watching the experience uh, really, you know, there was nothing that I saw that I couldn't find a, a valid reason why it happened. Like the, the client started speaking Mandarin, right? But I can somehow in some part of my brain say maybe one time, you know, everything that we see, everything that we hear is recorded in our brain. We just don't have access to it. Um, so maybe at some point they had watched a movie in Mandarin and so that Mandarin language was somewhere hidden in their brain and they brought it up at this time and that's why they started speaking Mandarin. Um, those type of things, like I can talk it away but I think what informed me the most was when he did start speaking Mandarin, the assisting priest went to the door of the room and there were people outside that would get you anything you wanted during the exorcism. And he requested someone who spoke Mandarin. So they brought in a Buddhist monk into the room who spoke Mandarin. I don't know where they got him from. This was in rural northern Michigan. You'd be hard-pressed to find a Buddhist monk in rural <laughs> northern Michigan, but they found him. It's the Vatican, so I assume they can do anything they want. Um, but the Buddhist monk assisted with the Catholic exorcism until the, the end of the exorcism. And then in this breakdown session at the end where we were all kind of sitting around, not the client, the client was in this kind of recovery, but I'm sitting there with the two priests and the Buddhist monk and a couple of church officials and myself. And I asked, don't you think it's weird that you had a Buddhist monk helping with a Catholic exorcism? And they all kind of did weird smiles and snickers and the, the, the main priest who was in charge of the exorcism looked at me and very casually said, if you don't think the major religions of the world understand that there's only one force in the universe, then you're wrong. And I was really taken aback by that. And I said, well, why don't you tell that to people? <laughs> and uh -huh. they were like, no one would believe us. Like there's too much money, there's too much power, and there's too much um, separation built in, generational separation built in. No one would believe us if we started saying that. That informed me more than are there demons. It informed right. me into how human beings are so separate and in their own bubbles and how and why we can't get along. It's like one big high school and there's all the different cliques or yeah. something, you know? Yeah. Did you see other activity during this exorcism that, I mean, so you, you did kind of say this, but. So I, saw wasn't... I saw I saw the client, you know, their body went in. I'm not a physiologist. I don't know that much about the human body, but did things that I thought would probably be harmful to the human body, the way that the arms and legs bent uh, and moved and seeing, you know, rashes appear and disappear, you know, not over the course of hours, but in the course of minutes, um, eye color changes, things like that, things that, I mean, th there are probably physiological triggers for that you could say happened because of this reason or that reason or stressors or whatever. But it was, when I saw it, it was just mind blowing. But after this was performed, did that person, did all that stuff stop? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's pretty, that's something. Yeah. That's and then the client, something. I, uh, this is probably now, I don't know when Hurricane Katrina was. I can't remember what year that was. Was that like 2005 or six, maybe? Something like anyway, that. Anyway, um, 
I had reached out to the archdiocese to find out what had happened to the client. They told me I was never going to know, but I, you know, I, I'm a researcher and I like to dig around and I just made a phone call and uh, they actually informed me that the client had died. Um, but the client had died helping people uh, during hurricane Katrina was caught in a, was carrying someone's stuff across this little like river and they got grabbed by the undertow and pulled over. And I was like, uh, oh. And then I said to the archdiocese, I was like, well, what do you think that means? And whatever. And they were like, no, you don't understand. Like, that person died in service to other people. Like, that was such a radical change from what that person had been previous in their life. Like, that wasn't a demon. That was just, you know, the world taking effect. And this person was like calling on dark forces to get yes. inside. Yes. Wow. For years. I, know. I was just reading this book. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. It's by the psychiatrist that, um, wait, psychiatrist or psychologist? His name is like Dr. Richard Gallagher. And he's like, very credible, like Yale, Harvard, teaches, like all these things. And he specializes in demonic possession. You know, he studies this stuff and, you know, he he can say what is uh, mental illness and, and what is not. And he was talking in the book about that same thing, that he encounters pretty much people that are looking for it. Yes. That just seems to be, it's not... Just, you know, some teenage girl, just one day, it just happens. Like, it's like, it's typically somebody calling on darkness or what they believe to be demons or... Yeah, even, you know, doing this as long as I've done this, I've run into so many people who have been like, oh, I think, you know, I was possessed by a demon because I played with a Ouija board or I went on a ghost hunt or like, and I always try and tell them like, but your intention wasn't to be possessed by a demon, like... It would be, you know, everything that I've read, everything that I've talked about, like, you know, first of all, there are different types of possession. You can have things like repression, which is where, you know, a demon is trying to keep you down. It's not actually in you or doing anything. And uh, aggression where it's tearing stuff up in your house and, you know, it's still not in you. Possession is, you know, obviously it's possessed you as a person. Um but again, I think it's interesting that we've created all of these terms because like what one person might be like, oh, this is, you know, aggression, demonic aggression. Like it's throwing things around your house. Another person might be like, oh, that's a poltergeist. Like it's just throwing things or it's just a noisy ghost. Like the, the, the thing that changes in all the scenarios are the person's perceptions of the world. You know, I, I live just outside of, I, you know, 12 or 13 miles away from Dearborn, which has one of the like highest populations of Middle Eastern people outside of the Middle East. And for the past 30 years, when I go to that neighborhood to do any kind of investigation, I'm not dealing with ghosts. I'm dealing with gin. It's a, but if that person in that house was somewhere else, it would be a ghost. Like we're just calling things terms based upon our own perceptions of reality. Right. That's when I, I just get to a point where I'm like, what if it's all true? It's just different for different people. Yeah. I think that it's very personal. I think these experiences are individualized to us. I think that's why they're so hard to collect information and data for. I don't think that they're always reproducible. I think that they're meant to aid us in our journeys 
And so they're individualized to us. And yes, they might share some aspects, which is what we talk about. But at the end of the day, and I've said this at many lectures and on many podcasts, at the end of the day, if there's no such thing as ghosts, if there's no such thing as UFOs, psychic powers, Bigfoot monsters, elves, whatever you want to say, if it's all just a means and motivation for us to talk to each other about the things that we think about, then it's still vastly important. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great closing statement. I feel like we should probably end because it's been a while that we've been talking here and um, you've given us the goods. I hope that there's something in there you can use. Oh, it's so good. Thank you so much. Um, do you want to tell people, you know, where to find you and, and what you got going on and all that stuff? Sure. All of my social media is John E.L. Tenney. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. And then I do a podcast once a week with my friend Jessica called What's Up Weirdo. And it is literally just uh, a telephone call that I tape between her and I. So sometimes, sometimes we talk about ghosts. Sometimes we talk about love is blind too. Sometimes we talk about Beverly Hills 90210. Sometimes we talk about UFOs. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, it's, it's fun to listen to two friends, um, having a good time and being their authentic selves with each other. And it's just like, I mean, I kind of do feel like I'm like, I tapped somebody's phone, but, um, it's fun. You guys are funny. Um, yeah, people should check it out. Well, I guess that's it. Well, thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me. It's always a joy. I'm sorry. I feel like I talk too much. I I asked for it. I want you to talk, and it's <laughs> you, you. It's not like you're talking about a bunch of stupid stuff. It's great. It's really it's really interesting. And this is our first time having a troll story uh, of some or what whatever elf? that was elf <laughs> elf story. Elvis impersonator ghost. I mean, you gave us you gave us some good stuff here. Macy the haunted head. Uh, this, this is the first time I have seen a haunted wig head uh, during one of these. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to John E. L. Tenney. What a gem. I hope to have many, many conversations with him. He is so great. And go listen to his podcast. Go go check out a lecture of his if ever you get the chance. Because we can all learn a lot from John E.L. Tenney. And follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. Okay. Patreon.com slash Place for lots of amazing content from me. If I do say so myself. Please subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Rate it five stars. Leave a nice five-star review everywhere you can. If you like me but you don't want to see me do spooky things, that's my social media, Twitter, and TikTok at It's Roz Hernandez, Instagram, Roz Hernandez. I will be talking to you guys next week. I love you all, both living and dead. But if I didn't ask you to haunt me, don't haunt me. Okay, bye! Star Bands Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.